1: now
4: You are wearing a mask. You are in. You are acquiescing to uh, compelled speech. And by removing the mask under the circumstances of, of, let's say, a new mask mandate, you are sending a clear message to anyone watching, saying, "I am not a sheep. I will not comply. I have a right to basic things like oxygen, which is something I need to survive. And and you can't tell me against my conscience that I have to adorn this useless ornament on my face." Hey,
5: friends, welcome back. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's Sean from SGT Report here. The man you just heard from is Ryan Heath, and he's an attorney I can support. He's like Todd Callender and Tom Renz, a truth attorney on the side of the people, and he's fighting for our rights every single day. Hey, friends, Sean from SGT Report here. Thank you so very much for coming on back to the show. We're glad to have you. I'll remind you every single day for free, you can find the antidote to corporate propaganda and mockingbird mainstream media lies at sgtreport.com. Guys, I'm delighted to have a new guest on the line. He's an attorney, and much like Attorney Todd Callender and Attorney Tom Renz, he is fighting for us. He's fighting for truth. In fact, he's fighting for freedom he is the president and CEO of the Gavel Project. His name is Ryan Heath. Ryan, welcome to the broadcast. How are you, sir?
4: Thank you, Sean. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Well,
5: I'm glad to have you. And uh, we're looking for a lot of updates today because, as you know, my word's not yours, there was a coup in the year 2020 that implanted... Somebody I call Banana Joe. We now live on the cusp of living in a banana republic. I call it Banana Joe's Banana Republic. So the result of that coup is now open borders. We're on the cusp of war with Russia over Ukraine. Hundreds of billions to Ukraine. Not much for the people. And Ryan being the president and CEO of the gavel project while well, he's fighting for freedom. And in early 2022, he traveled to California to teach parents and children across the state, how to disobey school COVID mask mandates, guys, civil disobedience, Ryan, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into the fight for freedom because a lot of attorneys seem opposed to the concept of freedom
4: yeah i'm I'm a younger attorney i believe i'm I'm one of the, the youngest ones in the nation doing this type of work. Uh, I graduated law school in two thousand and twenty. Uh, I was class president at my law school, which is Regent University School of Law. Uh, I really enjoyed being there, and, and basically had my uh, my third year canceled about halfway through my spring break. Uh, I had a, a wonderful opportunity to learn about constitutional interpretation from uh, Justice Samuel Alito on the U.S. Supreme Court while I was there. I was actually in uh, in D.C. in January of 2020 taking a class that was taught by him on that issue. And so when when COVID happened, I had a I have a young girl. Uh, I had a girl in my second year of law school. She's uh, four now, about to be five. Uh, I I kind of saw things going downhill pretty quickly when it came to the way that our nation was being conducted, the leadership here. And uh, I went to work for a a a good firm out of California. Actually, I'm, I'm an Arizona licensed attorney, and they they hired me to help take over their Arizona office. And so, uh, I was doing. Uh, I was playing a lot of golf in in 2021. I was networking, trying to build relationships with people here locally to build a business. And uh, my sister actually got threatened with termination from uh, Phoenix Children's Hospital. She's a nurse, and so uh, what I did is I actually started drafting letters on her behalf uh, to the uh, attorneys and actually to the board at, at Phoenix Children's Hospital, threatening to sue them uh, for breach of contract. And I I did. So I wrote three letters and my sister actually got a letter the day after she was supposed to be terminated, indicating that she could keep her job because they were scared of the lawsuit that I was threatening. Mm -hmm. And so, um, with that uh, going on, it, this was about October of 2021, I had the confidence to actually go out on my own and start a nonprofit. And that was really in response to uh, to Gavin Newsom saying he was going to forcibly vaccinate kids out in California. And so uh, what I did is, like I said, I quit that job. My wife was actually seven months pregnant at the time. Uh, with our second child, and uh, we started planning uh, these civil disobedience rallies. I actually went out to California. I traveled around the state. I taught kids how to disobey. Uh, And now we're actually funding lawsuits all over the state of California, all over the country, actually. We're fighting uh, the the woke nonsense that is just really destroying this country.
5: Well, God bless you for doing it, man. Uh, We keep waiting for white knights to ride in and save us from this tyranny and treason that we're seeing in blue states. And frankly, in Washington, D.C., I've never seen anything so out of control as what I'm now calling our criminal government. And again, my word's not yours, but I bring on guests, doctors, attorneys, and they're all saying the same thing. It is an out-of-control criminal government. So you've been fighting for our freedoms, and we sure do appreciate that. Defending medical freedom and civil rights secured by the law. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the law. Let's talk about the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. Can a tyrant like Gavin Newsom or Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan or Kathy Holcomb in New York, can they just with a swipe of a pen take away our rights? Well, I think we're finding the answer is no, as was just proved with that New Mexico governor, that piece of filth trying to ban the Second Amendment with a swipe of a pen. What we need to do is stand up, and attorneys like you are helping us do just that.
4: Yeah, the the law is uh, retrospective in a lot of ways. Unfortunately, tyrants have the capacity to make declarations that need to be struck down later. And it's only because individuals are bringing lawsuits, like myself, to fight these issues that we're actually able to live in a free society. That's the way it's been throughout our our history. And so uh, we have these lawsuits out in California, in particular, on behalf of kids that were literally stuck in a cage outside. These were elementary school kids. They were stuck in an enclosed area outside a courtyard with bars all the way around it for four weeks. These were fourth and fifth graders. This was in Saddleback Valley Unified School District in Orange County. And that's just because the kids didn't want a mask. It was against their conscience. They they had a a right to breathe freely, just like kids in this country have done since the the dawn of public education. And these kids had their, uh, their free speech rights violated. So we filed lawsuits against the school, against the district, against the principal that actually told the children that they were being punished because they happened to disagree with her edict. Uh, and we're going after them all all in their personal capacities. We're also filing lawsuits uh, down in Orange Care, or Sorry, uh, Coronado Unified School District is another case we have. Uh, that was a young girl. She was a, a high school student that was basically told to sit outside and not go to class for six weeks because she didn't want to wear a mask. And so uh, we're going after at least 20 people in that lawsuit. That's the school board. Uh, that would be the teachers that actually discriminated against her, alienated her, made her feel like she was some sort of other being as opposed to a human Uh, and we're we're all we're really trying to hit them where it hurts because the tyranny stops when you hit people in their pocketbooks that's my view well and the other important thing that we're learning is suing
5: these people personally people on the school boards that are mandating this tyranny teachers nurses, doctors that are mandating the tyranny. Suing these people personally seems to help stop the behavior. And maybe that's the only way we get the behaviors to stop. These tyrannical, treasonous, treacherous behaviors to stop is by suing these people
4: personally. That's right, because then it actually scares other individuals from taking similar action in the future. That's been the, the um, really the, the bedrock of the Gavel Project is to try and, and you know, don't don't tread on me. That's the idea is to try and enforce that concept, and by holding individuals accountable, you can actually make a difference to make sure this doesn't happen again. So that's what we're doing with COVID. Uh, I'm also an elections attorney. I've been uh, filing different lawsuits in Arizona for the last year, and I uh, had quite a lot of success in that area. So we're we're trying to make sure that the most fundamental part of our freedom, which is our right to choose who actually governs and makes these type of types of decisions is also enforced. And so I have my own firm as well. In addition to the Gavel Project, there is a Heath Law, P-L-L-C. And uh, we represent some very in- interesting people, including folks like the Patriot Barbie. Uh, she's one of my clients. I represent Jody O'Malley, who is a pro- is a Project Veritas whistleblower uh, in a case here in Arizona and all sorts of other stuff. So I've been uh, litigating for a little while now and I've been enjoying it.
5: Well, I'm just so glad you took the side of we, the people in the Constitution. So many attorneys seem to be driven, sometimes only by money. So I got to add you to the mix of the attorneys I like. Tom Renz, Todd Callender, and now this guy, Heath,
4: Ryan Heath. All right. Money, Money's not my motivator. I actually liquidated a a vehicle. We had two family vehicles before I started the gavel project and I I sold one so I could actually fund the charity and pay our attorneys. So uh, I I haven't taken a paycheck from the nonprofit in over a year and a half of working. Almost two years now, actually, I haven't taken a paycheck and I've given uh, thousands of hours of my time to to pro bono work. So uh, money is not the primary motivating factor for me. I was blessed to have a near full ride to go to law school. Uh, So I didn't graduate with any debt from law school. And uh, it really has put me in a good position to be able to, to uh, launch these battles and, and fight these folks.
5: Well, God bless you guys. I'll leave the link below to the Gavel Project if you want to pitch in and help Ryan support the cause, because Ryan is trying his level best to save our Republic from the tyrants. We're going to do another screen share here. Here's Ryan over on Twitter at Ryan underscore L underscore Heath. Help us break down this tweet in just one second. I know you're very active in defending Carrie Lake. And by the way, I mentioned so many tyrants, some of whom are female. Gretchen Whitmer, Kathy Hochul will add Katie Hobbs to the mix. What's the first thing she did upon being forced on the people of Arizona? She dismantled the makeshift border down there, guys. So she's part of the Soros network, part of the Biden network, part of the New World Order to topple our country. And she stole the election. I'm sorry. That's my belief. Just like Sleepy Joe got in by stealing in 2020, Katie Hobbs got in by stealing in 2022. And Ken Paxton, who was unfairly targeted by rhinos and demon rats alike with his impeachment. Of course, he was found completely innocent. They had no evidence. He had this to say on Tucker Carlson discussing how mail in votes well, that just leads to voter fraud every single time.
6: All the voter laws are going to change. We're going to be go like California where you can just mail in ballots. And what I know from mail in ballot, having fought this for the last election, winning 12 cases on mail in ballots that unfortunately other states like Georgia did not fight, I know that mail in ballots are completely unreliable. If you just mail them out to everybody, you have no idea who's sending them back. There's no verification. And when they say you can't prove voter fraud, they are right. Because normally what you have to do, if you're going to mail in ballot. You have to satisfy the laws under certain categories. You're over 65, you're out of state, you're disabled. You satisfy, you sign an affidavit and you send it in with your application that this is my signature. And then when you send your ballot back, they send you a ballot and an envelope. You sign that envelope with your signature, you stick the ballot and they verify the signatures. Not the best, not as good as photo ID that we have for all other voting, but it still is something. But when you change it to mailing it out to everybody. We have no idea. We have no signature verification. We have no idea who's voting. So when they say you can't prove voter fraud, that's the system that they like, because we can't prove voter fraud if we set up a system that's completely open. And that's what's happening in America. All the voter laws are going to change.
5: And that's what's happening in America. All right. Ryan, help us break down this tweet and uh, give us give it and give us an update about what's going on in Arizona. And uh, the question I'd start with is, is Kerry Lake getting a fair shake in the courts in Arizona at all?
4: Yeah, yes, she is actually. And uh, just to be clear, I'm. I'm not her attorney. I don't represent uh, Carrie Lake. The, the way that I got involved in litigation is I was actually hired by True the Vote to, to represent a state senator, Senator Borelli, in a lawsuit in Mojave County, and this was back in November of last year. And so uh, I filed an election challenge under ARS 16672, which is the election challenge statute in that case. And and my argument primarily had to do with signature verification. That is the way that Maricopa County conducts um, the, the uh, verification, the identification verification of voters that actually submit their ballots by mail. And what the law says, and this this is ARS 16550A, is it says that upon receipt of the mail-in ballot affidavit, the county recorder or his designee shall compare the signatures thereon to the signature, and that's a singular reference, the signature on the voter's registration record. And so what Maricopa County has been doing is they have been incorporating into their database, their their registration record database, uh, historical signatures, which are not registration record signatures. Uh, Registration record signatures are those that you sign, It's the form that you sign when you go to the motor vehicle division and you register to vote or you re-register to vote. And that's defined, the, the registration record process by ARS 16152. And that law says that when you show up at the the motor vehicle division, you have to provide proof of identification and proof of U.S. citizenship in order to register to vote. And the difference between uh, what you do when you register to vote and what you do when you submit a mail-in ballot is you don't show an ID when you submit a mail-in ballot. You simply sign your name on the uh, affidavit envelope, uh, attesting to uh, basically under penalty of perjury that you are who you say you are. And so what's happened since 2020 is all of these states around the nation, including Arizona, all of these counties have been sending out Millions of of mail in ballot packets basically to any person they possibly can find uh, and just blasting these things out into the ether with no guarantee that they are going to the people they are supposed to be going to, uh, with no guarantee that the registration rolls here in Arizona are actually cleaned up to preclude people that have died, people that have moved out, moved out of the state. And so you have 1.3 million mail-in ballot packets that were submitted during the November 2022 general election, and a huge number of those, hundreds of thousands of those, this has been my argument for a very long time, were, were illegitimately verified by comparisons to criteria that it falls outside of the scope of era 16550A. Basically, they were using prior mail-in affidavit signatures to compare the current mail-in affidavit signatures to in order to accept the votes and include them in the statewide canvas. And so... Um, we, uh, I ended up suing Carrie Lake's judge in, uh, in January. Uh, I filed as a pro se litigant. I actually exposed my family to, to personal liability as a civil rights activist in conjunction with the, the Gavel Project in affiliation with them. And, uh, I ended up filing that lawsuit. It was for what's called a writ of mandamus, basically asking the court, uh, to issue an order to, uh, have Judge Thompson, who was her judge, Set aside his result because he didn't cite binding precedent and Kerry Lake's attorneys very unfortunately missed a case called Reyes v. Cumming out of Yuma from 1997 that says as a matter of law. If signature verification is not done in accordance with ARS 16550A with respect to a material number of votes, meaning larger than the margin of victory, then the election actually has to be set aside. This election in Yuma County was for a Board of Supervisors race, and the Yuma County Board of Supervisor was actually forced by the court to step down a year after the fact from his seat. And so um, I made the same argument, in essence, that Maricopa County was using historic record signatures, which are not within this, the proper definition of registration record signatures uh, under ARS 16550A. And we have definitive proof of that. Uh, so uh, the court, instead of granting my, my writ of mandamus, asked me to file as what's called an amicus curi in Kerry uh, Lake's case. And when her case actually got to the Supreme Court of Arizona, I, I filed and actually just to take a step back, uh, I sued Judge Thompson in the Arizona Supreme Court. And so this was the Arizona Supreme Court directing me uh, to go ahead and try and intervene as an amicus curiae, which is a friend of the court. You're a third party that has no interest in the case, but you happen to provide a basically a new perspective that isn't given by the parties. And so I filed in the Arizona Supreme Court uh, on behalf of my, my current client, Mr. David Mast. And actually, one, uh, the amicus curiae uh, brief, the, the reason that Carrie Lake's case is even alive today on the issue of signature verification is because of my work. Wow. And so um, that case was sent back down to the uh, Superior Court on the issue of signature verification for all of the, the arguments that I've been making. And unfortunately, Carrie Lake's attorney has simply just refused to make. Uh, the proper arguments. They they seem to think that a matter of fact argument about the impossibility of the speed by which Maricopa County conducted signature verification uh, renders it physically impossible for them to have you know meaningfully compared the signatures on these these ballot affidavit envelopes. To the proper criteria, but they never set out to define what that proper criteria is. And so uh, just a few weeks ago, I actually filed a lawsuit on behalf of my client, Mr. David Mast, and uh, another individual down from, from Cochise County, Mr. Tom Crosby, who happens to be a county board of supervisor, arguing that those individuals' uh, votes, they're, they're, they're um, their uh, choice for certain positions, such as for Cary Lake, such as for uh, Abraham Hamaday, who's the AG candidate here in Arizona, Uh, and uh, uh, with respect to a couple of propositions as well, were diluted because Maricopa County included hundreds of thousands of mail-in votes uh, illegally in in their canvas, which really requires setting aside the election based on case law.
5: Well, and as fate would have it, guys, uh, there's a two-day trial For Carrie Lake, it's happening right now as we're recording this conversation. And I'm going to play a clip from uh, Real America's Voice featuring Carrie Lake in just one second. But let's just remind people what the margin of victory was for Katie Hobbs with all these mail-in ballots. It's very slim. The margins were
4: what, eleven, twelve thousand 12,000 votes? Seventeen thousand. It's it's really not that much with respect to the number of you know millions and millions of votes that were submitted here in in uh, Arizona in the last election. I mean, Abraham Hamaday's uh, election was decided by two hundred and eighty votes. It's even closer. And when you strike the uh, votes from Maricopa County, the the results actually flip. So Carrie Lake wins with respect to the rest of the state, and uh, Abraham Hamaday does as well. And so that's actually part of what we're asking the court to do in this new lawsuit that we filed just a few weeks ago uh, to, to basically issue a mandamus uh, order to the uh, elections officials, not only in Maricopa County, but also uh, for the secretary of state, Adrian Fontes, to decertify the election results and actually hold a new election in Maricopa County uh, where they actually uh, engage in proper signature verification as opposed to looking at what are called historical uh, documents in order to verify votes.
5: Yeah, and by the way, I misspoke. They're not votes. They're ballots. These aren't 17,000 votes. I don't think Katie Hobbs won by 17,000 votes. She won by 17,000 ballots. And the best way to steal an election is with mail-in ballots. So let's just turn our attention to this two-day trial, and then we'll get the update in uh, Ryan's uh, opinion on what he thinks is going
1: on. Well, joining me now is the former GOP nominee for the governor of Arizona, the woman who I believe won that race, Gary Lake is with us. Carrie
7: so Good to be here. You're right, Grant. I mean, when you have a problem, you don't stick your head in the sand and just hope it goes away. That's insane. And so we are exposing how they cheated. And we have several court cases. You mentioned our court case that's in the appellate court. court. That's our original case. And we have even more proof now. And We just filed that appeal in the last few days. And we have a trial beginning this Thursday to get our hands on the envelopes that you showed those, the ones that they compared the signature, I should say that they should compare the signature to, Mm -hmm. but they're failing to. And so we have a two-day trial, and we're going to try to get our hands on those envelopes that the mail-in ballots are returned in to prove that they are not. Uh, matching signatures, that there are no signatures at all, that that 100 percent pass rate is a complete joke and that the entire mail-in ballot system is not secure
5: and actually uh, fraught with fraud. All right, Ryan, I'm coming back to you. Um, What are your thoughts on this? What are the hopes that we actually get justice in Arizona and we get Katie Hobbs out of the governor's office and Carrie Lake into the governor's office, which is exactly what should
8: happen in Washington, D.C.
1: that oh At fighterflare.com.
5: We should get Joe Biden out of the Oval Office and Donald J. Trump into the Oval Office. What are the chances we're going to see justice here?
4: I'm very confident in the lawsuit that we just filed. Uh, the one that I'm, I'm working on, not the one that Carrie Lake is working on, it is a very strong case. It's a matter of law case. And, and people need to understand there, there's a difference between a factual argument about whether the, the number of, of people and the number of um, opportunities with respect to the amount of time they had uh, was sufficient to compare, quote unquote, compare, conduct a comparison to the the signatures at all, and whether they use the proper criteria required by law to compare the signatures to. And that's my point that I've been arguing. Carrie Lake is stuck in this uh, very fact-specific land, and I'm stuck in the, what does the law say, and what does it mean, and did Maricopa actually abide by the proper definition of what is considered a registration record when verifying 1.3 million mail-in ballot packets. And in my view, it's a much easier case to win because there's such Strong precedent in Arizona for this issue. Uh, there's a case going back to the early 1900s uh, called Hunt v. Campbell, and that case actually set aside a governor's race a year after the election based on constitutional concerns. And that's the the way that we're bringing our lawsuit is we're we're arguing that Maricopa County is violating certain um, provisions within the Arizona Constitution, which secure our right to have a clean and fair process with respect to certain laws. And when laws in Arizona, this is what case law says, when laws in Arizona are passed, to further your right as a voter, those laws are considered, quote unquote, non-technical, meaning they convey substantive rights to the voter. And so that's what ERA 16.550A is. It doesn't require any showing of fraud. Carrie Lake has been talking about fraud for quite a while. And I just don't see any any need to to bring in that that allegation because it it unnecessarily increases the the burden of proof that an attorney has to meet in the court case from, let's say, plausibility, which is what I'm arguing. It's, It's plausible. The outcome Would have been different based on the inclusion of material votes, a material number of votes, as compared to clear and convincing evidence. That's what you have to meet when you allege fraud. And so they're actually, in a a way, shooting themselves in the foot by heightening the standard unnecessarily. Even the Supreme Court, when remanding the the, Lake trial on the issue of signature verification, said the standard is plausibility. It's not clear and convincing evidence. And so I'm not sure why they continue to make these arguments. I'm I'm a bit confused by what they're trying to accomplish. The, The signatures themselves are not even relevant to her current case. They're, they're trying to have a, a trial right now in Maricopa County in a courtroom. I was actually watching it earlier today. The, the motions in limiting were being decided. Um, and those are the, the pre-trial motions. I should be more clear uh, The they're trying to get their hands on these signatures, but in reality, you don't need to look at the signatures because you, you can't as a matter of law, the, the Arizona uh, legislature has delegated the authority to conduct signature verification to the County recorders. And it, it's, their uh, they have the final say based on that delegation of authority, whether or not any given signature is legitimate or illegitimate. So even if Carrie Lake is to succeed in this lawsuit, there's nothing that actually is going to benefit her from, from this this endeavor because the signatures themselves are irrelevant. That's what the case law says. It says evidence of fraud is actually irrelevant in Arizona. All you have to show is that a non-technical statute was violated to a significant degree to create what's called uncertainty in the final results of the election. And once you do that, you can set aside the election as a matter of law. And I've been I feel like screaming from the rooftops uh, into a void for the last you know nine months trying to convince people this is the case and, and there are a couple of attorneys as well out there that, that would have recognized this actually is the way to go unfortunately her team just hasn't bought into that and you know I do wish them the best I understand why they're making the arguments they're making it does make sense uh, from a practical perspective to say that well you compared 70,000 actually uh, accepted 70,000 signatures in a matter of under two seconds and so you couldn't have conducted any meaningful comparison. Comparison in that time, but the the thing is, ARS sixteen five five zero A, the governing law here doesn't say anything specifically with, with what you have to do with respect to the comparison. It just says comparison, and so they're they're making a bit of, of a, a very um, they're making a mountain out of a molehill in my uh, in
5: my view, and they're increasing the burden of proof. So look, you've got a relationship with True the Vote. You said they hired you at one point. Couldn't you get this information, your legal views to Catherine Engelbrecht and she could get it to Carrie Lake's team? Is this all, look, I don't want to be uh, too much of a conspiracy theorist, but it kind of sounds like Carrie Lake's case is being sabotaged from within. Like, why aren't they taking your advice? How do we get this information to that team? Or are they just ignoring
4: your legal views? they they've had this information for quite a long time I they I know Brian Blem, her attorney and, and I don't want to speculate as to whether or not you know anything is going on nefarious there we, we have our differences of opinion um, but the the issue here, in my view, is so clear. And and I know she's seen these arguments. I know she's read articles about me. She's never spoken with me, never contacted me. Uh, But I I have gotten these cases into her hands. So she's familiar with what it is that I'm saying, in my view. Uh, And I actually had one of my clients, uh, David Mass, I mentioned earlier, is a very wealthy individual here in Maricopa County. He's an independent voter that just seems to care uh, very deeply about the, the election process, because he, he wants the future to be free for all of us, uh, including our children, especially. And so um, when he hired me to intervene on his behalf in the Supreme Court as uh, amicus, I mean, I spoke with Brian, I spoke with Kurt, I, I put forth the arguments that I've been making now, they've seen them, they've read them. And for some reason, they happen to just disagree with the the perspective. But um, the, the Arizona Supreme Court wouldn't have asked me to intervene. Uh, after suing a judge. I I mean, if I had done something wrong, if my arguments didn't have merit, I would have been sanctioned. I would have been disbarred, but I wasn't. I was asked to actually intervene in the case because I had a valid point to make. And when they remanded the case based on my amicus brief, that's the Supreme Court, they they directed uh, Brian and Kurt to define the, the term registration record. It just wasn't done at the trial. And that's very unfortunate.
5: Well, let me ask you about the temperament of the people in Maricopa County and around Arizona, given how clear it is that Katie Hobbs and the Democrats stole the election. We've got wide open borders. Uh, she's essentially, I view people like Katie Hobbs as agents of George Soros. They do not have the republic's best interest at heart. And in fact, they seem to be hell bent on destroying the republic. What is the temperament of the people in Arizona? I mean, at what point are people going to rise up and say, enough?
4: You know, that, that's a great question. Uh, I, I did it back in October of 2021 when I started the Gavel Project. I did it again when I sued Judge Thompson. Uh, I've been putting myself out there and actually trying to make a difference. I have been making a difference in a lot of respects. Uh, for quite a long time, but unfortunately, not everyone has the the capacities that I do. I think people are scared of losing their jobs. They're scared of speaking out and actually taking a hard stand on these types of issues. And I understand that, but but at some point, what's your job worth if your kids aren't going to be able to actually be free to enjoy the education that you're saving, you know, for them to go through in college? It's that that's why I put everything on the line. That's why I emptied my family's savings accounts and liquidated vehicles to fund a charity. It's because if I don't fight back now there is going to be no future. And, and luckily, I've been very successful. I have a firm in Phoenix now, Heath Law PLC, I mentioned earlier. I'm 30 years old and I employ two attorneys myself. I, I am a partner at a firm. I've been offered numerous partnerships from different uh, attorneys around the country, and uh, I'm I'm extremely excited about the prospects of litigation that we have going on because we have strong arguments to make. God bless me uh, with ADHD. It means that I lose my keys on a daily basis, but it also means that I come up with arguments that no one else thinks about. Hmm. And so I've been very effective as an attorney. Um, I, I sometimes file cases that happen to have the wrong headings and on them, on them, for example, when I initially sued judge Thompson, my ADHD was in full display on the first page of the lawsuit when I filed a writ of mandamus, not, not a writ of mandamus. And so that was uh, a bit embarrassing, but it, but it also is just part of my personality it's part of who I am and I own it. And I'm very grateful that I have a brain that doesn't quite function in the same way as uh, other people.
5: Well, oh, God bless you. One of our boys has ADHD and he was a handful As a teenager, I assure you. Uh, but, uh, he loves to tinker and take things apart and put them back together. That's why he's a mechanic now, uh, because he just is driven. His brain is driven to just take things apart and put them back together. And, uh, I wish I was more like that. So the bottom line is God bless all the Patriots and you're certainly one of them. So let's turn our attention to the selection of Joseph Robinette Biden. Now we're told it was the safest, most secure election in the history of the world. And Biden won 477 counties while Trump won 2,497 counties. But we're told Biden somehow out of those 477 counties got 81 million votes, the most votes in the history of a presidential election when the guy didn't campaign. And we're told we can't even question the selection of Joe Biden. So where do we stand moving forward on these selections? Because I'm pretty sure that I know how the people of Brazil feel. By having Lula installed, a convicted criminal is now heading up Brazil. I feel like the same thing is true with Joe Biden. So how do we move forward? What is your uh, viewpoint on 2024? Just more of the same? Or are measures in place to prevent this from happening again?
4: Well, I'm I'm more confident about 2024. And here's why. There was a, a ruling just a few weeks ago by a judge up in Yavapai County. And this was a lawsuit that was brought by an organization called the Arizona Free Enterprise Club. And the, the argument they made in that lawsuit is that the uh, mail-in affidavit signatures, the things that I've been talking about here, these these documents you sign, the envelope on uh, when you submit your, your mail-in ballot affidavit, or your mail-in ballot, excuse me. Those signatures are not a part of the "quote unquote" registration record pursuant to ARS 16550A, and in that case, they were seeking prospective relief, meaning that uh, the favorable ruling would pre- preclude Maricopa County and other counties around the the state of Arizona from utilizing illegitimate criteria in accepting these mail-in ballot signatures, actually verifying the identities of voters. And this is significant for for one reason, uh, particularly because it gives credence to the argument that I've been making for a long time. It demonstrates that there is a lot of merit to what I've been saying. And uh, the the facts are that Maricopa County had 780,000 people vote by mail in the August primary. And what what happened in Maricopa County is they adopted an election plan in May of 2022 that said that they could use these mail-in ballot affidavit signatures to incorporate into the registration record, this is the first time they'd ever raised that that point, and then you utilize those you know prior prior verified uh, signatures to verify future signatures. And so, seven hundred and eighty thousand signatures were scanned by RunBack in the August primary and included into Maricopa County's registration records for for um, the the purpose of signature verification. And they used those seven hundred and eighty thousand signatures again in the uh, general election in May of 2022 to verify hundreds and hundreds of thousands of votes illegally. And that's exactly what the judge in Yavapai County just said. And so at least as far as the future goes, I'm confident not only in the lawsuit that I'm bringing to try and set aside the election in, in Maricopa County and uh, have a re-election, but also in the fact that you can't keep breaking the law in such a flagrant fashion as these these tyrannical people in Maricopa County have been doing and throughout the, the country, frankly.
5: Well, it just feels like the Republic is hanging by a thread. And uh, I've been saying if they do get away with stealing another one in 2024, it's kind of game over. But uh, I do try to see our cup is half full. So defending medical freedom and civil rights secured by the law, guys, your donations at work. I want to ask you before we lose you about the return of mandates. Lockdown 2.0. We see a lot of fear mongering coming out of the Biden administration again and FEMA, by the way, and the CDC. And the World Health Organization, these tyrants would love to roll out lockdown 2.0 and they want to mask up our kids again. They want to shut down our businesses again. Just wait for it, guys. I think it's coming. Lockdown 2.0 is coming. What have we learned from lockdown 1.0? What did we learn that we can now use the law to defend ourselves with when lockdown 2.0 is at our doorstep?
4: Yeah, the, the answer is just simply not to comply. I mean, that's that's what I've been preaching for a long time. Uh, I, I literally I mentioned earlier, went around teaching kids about their civil rights, about their right to free speech, about their the right to what's called expressive conduct. Uh the First Amendment, a lot of people don't seem to realize, protects a heck of a lot more than simply your right to say things. It actually protects your right to express yourself through your actions. It's called it's called expressive speech, and it's protected by the First Amendment. So for example, if your actions are Reasonably likely to send a message to to any person observing your conduct under the circumstances, uh, then you are actually engaged in what's called expressive conduct. That is free speech. So, for example, if if there was a war going on, let's say the Ukrainian war right now against Russia, and you went to a park and you brought a Ukrainian flag and you burned that flag in the park, well, guess what? Your conduct would be protected because you're conduct sends a clear message. It's that I don't agree with the policies the United States is taking. I don't agree with the war. I don't agree with whatever it is. Um, but the the difference is in what I'm saying is that we should all engage in expressive conduct when it comes to masks. If you are wearing a mask, you are in, you are acquiescing to Uh, compelled speech. And by removing the mask under the circumstances of, of, let's say, a new mask mandate, you are sending a clear message to anyone watching saying, I am not a sheep. I will not comply. I have a right to basic things like oxygen, which is something I need to survive. And, And you can't tell me against my conscience that I have to adorn this useless ornament on my face. And so that's the message that I would send. If you are told to put on a mask, say no, No, thank you. I'm going to uh, breathe freely and I am not going to adorn this useless face ornament for your own psychological benefit. I'm going to to be a human being and stand on my own merits.
5: Well, I think that's what I learned from lockdown 1.0. Do not comply. That's what I keep telling everybody. I scream it from the rooftops every single day. Do not comply, not only with mask mandates, but with vaccine mandates. By the way, I call it a bioweapon masquerading as a vaccine as it relates to the COVID-19 bioweapon. I don't think it's a vaccine at all. And I have doctors that come on and say the exact same thing. And by the way, the other thing that we should never, ever comply with is a central bank digital currency. So we can really see kind of the new world order game plan coming straight at us. The United Nations Agenda 2030 game plan, coming straight at us. They want to ban gasoline-powered cars. They want to ban private property. They want us to mask up. They want to lock us down, and they want us in their 15-minute smart cities, which I can assure you are actually death cities, according to my friend and researcher Deb Tavares. But at the end of the day, do not comply. That is our mantra. We should all have flags flying on our houses that say, do not comply. Don't ever comply with tyranny, right?
4: Right. That's right. And, and it's important as well to, to be sure to, to support organizations like my own. I can say uh, it, it's very difficult to do what I'm doing. It, it Financially, my family has taken a huge hit. We've given tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars, much more, uh, to this charity so that we can actually stand up and fight for the freedoms of other people. And then the lawsuits we're filing have have wide um Have the potential to to cast a wide net and protect people in the future. The idea is to scare folks out of engaging in similar conduct. And if we can get huge rewards for the individuals that really can't afford to bring these cases on their own, uh, hiring attorneys is exceedingly expensive. I mean, when you're paying someone $300, $400 an hour to do work, uh, it it adds up pretty quickly. And so if you have the capacity and you're out there right now and you can support, we we are a 501c3, we are a public charity. Uh, We take tax deductible donations on our website. And your funds go a long way, and they help uh, not only the the kids that we're fighting for, but also your children as well with the precedent that we're setting.
5: Well, I'm just so glad that uh, we were able to meet today and have this conversation. Uh, Guys, here's the website, thegavelproject.com, fighting for our freedom and defending medical freedom and civil rights secured by the law. Now, that's an idea whose time has come because, you know, the PREP Act, the CARES Act, it gave these doctors rich rewards to injure people with remdesivir, to vent people, to kill people, as I've discussed in detail with Scott Shera about his daughter, Grace, who was murdered by that hospital in Appleton,
4: Wisconsin. Yeah, I heard about that. I've, I've uh, been speaking with other people as well recently about some of the, the, the egregious actions of local hospitals in Arizona. And uh, I'm planning on filing lawsuits here in the, the near future on those issues. The, the hospitals here, I mean, they killed people. They murdered them. And so we need to hold these folks accountable. We need to, to put their feet to the fire and we need to make sure to send a clear message with a huge jury award on behalf of the people that were injured. So this doesn't happen again. You can't just take people in and, and you know, give them experimental drugs without informed consent. You can't just take people in, strap them to beds and pump their arms full of morphine until they die which is what happened repeatedly throughout this nation with respect to the, the COVID wars. And so the we need to stand up. We need to fight back now. And by the way, if anyone is in Arizona that needs representation, I am also for hire. I have a number of attorneys here that uh, are very, very good. And so you can go to heathlaw.com if you're looking for representation. Uh, unless we bring in more funds for the GAVEL project, I can't take on more cases right now. We have four or five cases that we're funding across the country. So um, if you do need help though in Arizona, I can help you. We're also licensed in New Mexico and Texas.
5: Excellent. Heathlaw.com. If y'all are in Arizona and you find yourself staring down the barrel of a tyrannical gun, Ryan Heath is your guy. Heathlaw.com. Ryan, absolutely wonderful to meet you today. Thanks for staying in the fight. We certainly do appreciate you.
4: Thank you, Sean. It's my honor. And and I'm doing this on behalf of my kids and all the kids out there that don't really have the capacity to do it right now. and Their future is being taken away, so someone's got to fight for them.
5: Well, God bless you. We're going to add you to the mix of attorneys we like. Tom Renz, Todd Callender, and attorney Ryan Heath, Arizona. That's HeathLaw.com. Ryan, until next time, take care of yourself. God bless you and your family.
4: Thank you, Sean. Looking forward to it. All
5: right. Take care, my friend. All right. Friends, thank you so much for tuning in. As always, a simple reminder. For the real news, the antidote to corporate propaganda and mockingbird mainstream media, check us out every day for free at sgtreport.com, thephaser.com, and thelibertymill.com. May God bless you and your family.
9: Bye-bye. As much as they get power, like you talked about with Hillary Clinton, people that are willing to do and engage in these acts. Hillary Clinton said by her own lips in a speech that she was channeling the spirit of Eleanor Roosevelt. This is the former first lady talking to the former first lady's spirit. This is necromancy. By the way, that's what you would call that. She's an, she's a publicly confessed necromancer who is standing there saying she's channeling her spirit. Eleanor Roosevelt, by the way, engaged in a lot of what is called the spiritism movement. This is people who were engaging with, with witchcraft and sorcery and divination in order to channel and talk to other spirits. What we would call today, if you ever read the scriptures, the witch of Endor, right? People that summoned people's dead relatives and talked to them and conjured with them and communicated with them. Things were warned very explicitly. Don't go into that stuff. Don't go after that stuff because it's going to lead you down a path of death. It's not a a maybe. It's an absolute guarantee because when you consume and drink from the cup of demons like these people are doing, they're going to reap their punishment. They're going to reap the consequences for doing so, which is truly destruction.